Amen. That's not good enough. Amen. Amen. So, we have been in a series that we started last week, which we had a great time last week, called Walk the Walk. And I was thinking about that this morning. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 1, is where we started off last week, where it says, I urge, I urge, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And immediately, I was taken back to my high school days, which would be the 80s. Carl, do you remember the 80s? All right. I knew you did because we're the same age. But, um, oh, I'm on. Yeah. <laughs> By two weeks, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm just kidding. And I was reminded of a song that I'm just going to, as we get loosened up here this morning, I'm just going to have you all, whoever wants to help me out with, and that's, walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Stand up, everybody give me your Egyptian. Stand up and give me your Egyptian. Walk, there you go, Steve. Walk like an Egyptian. This is how they did I'm not sure Egyptians walk like that. For all Egyptians in the room, I apologize. But that was from the 80s. You know, that was in a music video and a song. Walk like an Egyptian. That's not what we want to do. I mean, you know, unless you're Egyptian. <laughs> walk the walk. Oh, that, I got that. Thank you. See, that's great. Thank you, sir. Or I think I did this. Um, we want to learn how to walk with God. We don't want to walk like an Egyptian necessarily. We want to walk like Christ. And Paul... In this, in this book in the Bible, Ephesians, spends three chapters on the front end of Ephesians to lay out um, very clearly the, the theology, the heart of God and his love for us. And then he spends the next three chapters, not that there's not theology in the next three chapters, but he focuses on applying that to our life, getting that worked out in us, in a sense, as he's starting here in chapter four, um, instructing us, hey, it's important how you walk. It's important that you walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of God. Didn't we have a great week last, last week? We, we started off this series talking about walking in unity, and we finished the service. Um, we talked about how we are one in God. We are one in Christ. We are one baptism, one Lord of all. That there's a oneness that comes with us in this room if we put our faith in Jesus. We also talked about how uh, that oneness doesn't mean that we're all robots, but that we're uniquely gifted. We're diverse. And in that place of oneness with Christ and the diversity of how he made us, remember we talked about a, a diamond, and uh, the more diversity, the more cuts, and the more glory that God receives when we all walk together in unity. Um, and we finished the service taking communion together. And for those of you who weren't with us, what we did is we, instead of what we normally do, um, filing from our chairs and rotating around and sitting back in our seats, we stationed um, the communion elements around the room, and we encouraged people to not just take um, communion um, by themselves, but to go to somebody and to honor them and encourage them and, and in a sense, break bread with one another in the body. And so it was beautiful, at least it was beautiful for me, I don't know how beautiful it was for you, to watch different pockets of people um, that maybe not ne don't necessarily live life together on a daily basis, come together. I don't, know what, I don't know what words were shared or what communication happened, but there was community happening around what Christ had done for us. And that is one of the themes of Ephesians 4, is that he's reconciling us to God. And oftentimes in our Western society, we think about it individually. 
God saving me to be reconciled with God. But in the context of this passage of Scripture, it's not just individual, but he's putting a focus on the church. That we are reconciled to God as well as being reconciled to one another. So we, we landed a little bit last week on the thought of if we take communion together but we're not one with one another, that's not really the reconciliation that God's calling for. But he's calling for us to lay down our, our weapons, to lay down our judgments, to lay down our prejudices, and look at each other as the beautiful people that he has created, that he has empowered, and that he wants us to walk together with. Amen? This week, we're going to jump into the next walk, or the next image. And if you look in your passage, if you look in Ephesians as you study with me, we're going to verse 17 if you brought your Bibles. Love it when I hear those pages turn. But there is a theme, especially in the the ESV. Uh, In the NIV and different translations, it it uses the word living. But in the ESV, it, I think, um, uh, more accurately reflects the wording of Paul in the Greek in in regards to a walk, how we walk out life. And so ESV um, um, illustrates it or communicates it in that way. And you'll see within this whole passage that there's different sections. It's actually how we've fashioned this sermon series Um, this time around those sections about what different kinds of walk is Paul emphasizing. And today we're going to look at this walk of truth. Would you read with me? I might need some water. Can somebody get me, uh, for some reason I am parched. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let, us want, let each one of us speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry... Um, I'm going I'm to pause here because in other translations it, it says, in your anger. I actually like that interpretation better. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, sounds like a lot of our talk shows, doesn't it? Be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ 
forgave you. Powerful, isn't it? Interesting, when you read a passage of Scripture, you already got the preacher preaching to you, so Paul's already preached to you, so I'm going to try to interpret what Paul just preached at us. Walk in the truth, is what he's saying. We're going to talk today about true thinking. We're going to talk about, um, just lost my thought, true thinking, true something else, and true living. Um, Oh my gosh, let me look at my notes. Just because I said it. We'll get there. True nature. Yeah, that's important. So true thinking, our true nature, who we are in Christ. And then how that applies at the end of the scripture to the beginning of living that out. Have you ever been in a situation where you have been walking in deception? You have... Of course, oftentimes we don't know we're walking in deception until we look back, right? So if you're in deception right now, you're probably gonna not, not going to notice it because that's what deception means, right? You're deceived. We might discover some of that by the Holy Spirit today. But have you ever looked back on your life and recognized, or maybe in the middle of it, recognized that you're walking in deception? Deception meaning that you're living in a way or you're believing something that you, you really know to not be true. Or you really know is not who you are or who you want to be. I'm not going to have a show of hands, but I'll just let you know about my own life. But I can tell you, uh, I remember times, I have a specific memory of a season in my life when I was younger where I would find myself in conversations uh, filled with judgment and gossip and, and slander of people's lives. Just... And oftentimes in, in the group of guys that I was hanging out with, it was always uh, coupled with a joke. I mean, the funnier, you know, your mama went to your mama to everything else, right? And we get to laughing, and, and all of a sudden it gets closer to home, and we're talking about our classmates, we're talking about our neighbors, we're laughing, it's fun, hey, it's all a joke. And all of a sudden in the middle of it, I'm going, I'm a believer. And every person that I'm laughing at and talking about and bringing up their dirty laundry, man, would I want that done to me? And in the middle of it, my, the, the Holy Spirit convict, conviction comes on me, and all of a sudden, I'm not laughing anymore. I'm just kind of sitting there, and everybody's going, what's going on? Right? Have you been there? More times than not, I probably didn't stop. It was after the event that I felt guilty. I remember being invited to a party when I was younger, hanging out with my friends, and knowing the guys that I was hanging out with and knowing where that party would go and uh, getting through the meal and getting through the, through the music and whatever it was, what was happening that time. And then out, this was back when VCRs, uh, video, cassettes were the, were the in thing. You know, he had a VCR player and he slides in the unnamed VCR player and what popped up on the TV was inappropriate sexual images. And I thought, yeah, oh, the, the, the temptation, the lust took over, took over that then turned into, God, what in the world am I doing? This is not who I am. Why am I in the middle of this condoning this? Have you ever been deceived? Have you ever been in on, a, on a path where you thought this is a good path and your desires or your feelings or maybe your ignorance or whatever got you to the place and you realize, oh, I don't want to be here. Listen to Paul again in verse 17. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The Gentiles here represent, because this church is predominantly converted Gentiles, meaning they're not Jewish. And the Gentiles he's talking about is the world around them. It's their culture. It's who they live with. It's who they work with. It's who they go to the spa with. It's who they wash the car with. It's whoever I can say ah with. It's our lives. It's who we hang out with. It's our family. It's our friends who don't walk with Christ. Now we have a very clear picture of that because there is a there is a there is not as as we would like to see a saturation of the gospel in gospel living in our city. It's going to be. We're believing for it. But it's not the way we'd want, it to, want to see it, and therefore we live in a world that compromises our thinking. Futility, that's pretty hopeless, isn't it? Futile, without hope, dead end. Do not let yourself be in the place of the futility of the world around you. The world is, to a great extent, the culture we live in, and the pressures that conform us to to, to shape or change or live by a certain set of values, a certain set, set of standards, goals, conduct. Uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. How about don't go to Vegas? <laughs> that would be a good advertisement. Do you think I'd get some money on that one? How about all set, thanks? Instead of, wow, I really need Jesus. church or our culture tells us that it's unintellectual, legalistic, outdated, bigoted to believe and live the teachings of Jesus. Our culture these days, although they don't say it, says there's no, there's no such thing as sexual immorality. It's just who you are and what you do. We're like animals. We can't help ourselves. Culture exalts role models in the sports and entertainment field. We call them role models, and then we look at their lives and we go, are they really role models? Most recent football player paid $13 million after it was well known that he had beat his girlfriend up to a pole. But he's a leader, says the owner of the team. He helps us win games. What's shaping our values? And I've just started, and I'm going to stop for the sake of all of us. But could I go on and on? Could I, could I go on and on and say that there is a system, and there is a doctrine, and there is a value system that's not coming from the throne room of heaven, but it's coming from someplace in the opposite direction that is shaping or trying to shape who we are? As believers, even. Futility speaks not of stupidity, but it speaks of a thinking that brings destruction to our lives. And I would say that Paul would say, and he does in his letters, and I'll quote him here in a second, that doctrine, 
how we understand who God is should be determining our conduct. Doctrine determines our conduct. What we believe affects how we behave. So what do you believe? And how do you figure out how to believe it? Well, we're doing it this morning. We're getting into the Word of God and we're saying, Spirit of God, speak through Ephesians to me. The doctrine that Paul is laying down and that Sean is articulating, Lord, would you let it go into me? And can I tell you this? Because I know how I am as a listener because I'm seeing some of you fade off to sleep even now. <laughs> that you're not going to walk away from here and be a theologian. As a matter of fact, you're not probably going to walk away from here and even understand all of the practical application points that I have for you. You might get one thought and get taken on a rabbit trail that'll lead you to Dunkin' Donuts in your mind. You'll grab a cup of coffee and a donut. You'll come back and it'll be ministry time. Quit shaking your head, David. That was just an illustration. That was an exaggerated illustration. You shouldn't be shaking it. Just kidding. Paul said, watch your life in doctrine closely. He's talking to Timothy, one of his disciples. He said, son, watch your life in doctrine closely. Let's follow up. He says, persevere in them because if you do, if you do watch your life in doctrine closely, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And the flip would be, if you don't, destruction, futility in your life. Faith calls upon men to act on the truth of God as revealed in His Word, not on how we feel. Abraham did not feel like leaving his homeland, did he? I don't think. I didn't talk to him, but I'm assuming because I've moved a few times and he probably didn't feel like it. But he did because he obeyed God. Neither did he offer up his son Isaac on the altar or attempt to because he felt like it, but because he was obedient. Neither did our Lord Jesus feel like going to the cross to Calvary. But he did because he was willing to obey. Let's act on what we know to be truth as revealed in the word of God more than how we happen to feel it. And this doesn't mean that we are not all about encountering the presence of the Lord and, and, and connecting with God in a place of worship, in a place of devotion, where God speaks to us prophetically and encourages us, but it is never going to violate or distort the teaching of the Word of God. And in order to interpret times in the presence of the Lord, you need to know the Word of God to make sure you're not going off on some crazy cult trip. And we are so into the, in our society, and hey, I'm a feeler. I like to cry. I'm emotional. But we're so into feeling, feelings being the interpretation of what is true. Therefore, if you feel like doing it, do it. That's not what God says. God says, obey my word. And if you obey my word, I'll put my biblical conclusion on it, you're going to really feel good. Amen? When we obey God, then joy and peace and fulfillment and rest and hope and grace and exuberant dancing or whatever, when we obey God, the feelings are with us. Or perseverance through suffering. But when we are just feeling out our beliefs, man, we're in trouble. 
It's futile, Paul says. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to what? Bad thinking comes. Bad thinking begins to happen when we harden our hearts towards God. When we start to harden, that that term in the Greek is is, is, is more like a rebelliousness. It's not like just an emotional insensitivity, but it's a willful rebellion towards God. I am choosing to harden my heart. Oftentimes I'll hear people say, you know, my heart's just a little hard right now. And I don't always say this because I'm so pastoral, but I want to say, quick, repent. Because when you choose to say that your heart is hard, That's dangerous. God doesn't want your heart to be hard, so it's not God who's hardening it. It doesn't mean that you can't be disillusioned or all those things, but when you're in those places, call out to God for him to soften your heart. But when we allow our hearts to become hardened, it indicates that maybe we are hard, we have chosen to be hardened towards God. Oftentimes that's either because we're blaming him for something in our life and we're experiencing self-pity, And we're saying, well, God, you don't care about me, therefore I'm going to harden my heart. You've bought into a lie that he doesn't care about you. He cares amazingly more about you than any person you've ever met. So he's not distanced from you. He's knocking at the door of your heart. So who's hardening the heart? Who's the cause of the heart? You. Sometimes we harden our hearts because we are angry or we feel like that he is not around and therefore we're going to have to take care of our own lives. He hasn't shown up. That's pride. That's independence. Is God putting that in your heart? No, you're allowing that to happen. But when that happens, it keeps us from seeing the things the way they really are, doesn't it? Remember in Scripture, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He could not... He could not see the power of God, and he could not hear the truth of God. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves over or up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So we as a person can understand that, but can we see that in a culture? When a culture says, God is dead, and the church is weird. And we don't need those two things. If we assume, which I assume with my whole life, that God is not dead, but he's alive, and that he's not just the God who we place a quarter in the Coke machine and get what we want from, but he's the one that created all of everything and fills everything in every way. If that is the God who is alive, and I believe it is because that's what the word of God says, we're in a big bunch of trouble if we as a person or a culture say you're not around because what happens is we become hardened we become callous and Paul says we give ourselves over to every form of iniquity or sin look at it in a different way in a different passage of scripture in 2 Timothy 3 Paul this is Paul speaking again um, to Timothy and he says 
Um, But understand this, that in the last days there will come a time of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Got a few presidential candidates that are like that. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. There's that football player. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loyal, loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That's always thrown me off because what... As a believer, and I read that passage of Scripture, I go, Lord, what kind of description could that possibly be of your church that live in a form of godliness, but all of these things are underneath the surface? Or at least some of them that we are allowing to take root in our lives. Paul is saying, guys, this is futile. There's not a place where we can stand on one side of the fence and have a little gossip session or a little escape session into some kind of immorality and then on Sunday or in a faith group or in your family say, hey, let's open up the Bible because God's really central and we're playing two lives. Now, have we all fallen into sin? I have. What about you? Sorry about that. If you're wondering if your pastor's perfect, he's not. I know you didn't really wonder that. You know me. But yeah, we fall. We get up. We get up because we know that that's not who God is in us. Verse 18 says that the result of that darkness or hardening is alienation from the life of God. What a... What a tragic conclusion that we would get bitter or angry or arrogant in our heart towards God and we'd allow our heart to harden to where we couldn't hear His truth anymore. And we become so hardened that it opens up the door for all kinds of sin to capture our lives and capture the lives of people around us because how we live, we model and infect other people with. And as a result, alienation or unreconciliation happens with us and others. We don't want that, do we? We don't want that. We were, as believers, this is how we were. We were lifeless apart from Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were the pawns of Satan. We were under his dominion. We are unaware of this because he controlled us through the influence of the world and the flesh. This is who we were. Now that we have been born again as believers, in Christ we have been raised from our dead state spiritually to a newness of life. And because of this, we are able to renounce the world and its dominion over us. Can I just say this? If you are a believer in Jesus, you are not bound by anything in that list that Paul just described. You are not bound. Though we might slip into it, though we might fail... And I would say that if we were all honest in here, every single person in this room, including the person you think is the most godly, has done one of those things within the last month. 
I'm not condoning it. I'm just wanting to get your eyes off of everybody else and onto yourself. And say, God, I am neither condemned by that list, nor am I controlled by that list. I'm neither condemned because Christ Jesus, you set me free. I'm moving into my second point now. And I'm not not controlled by that way of thinking. Because you have set me free. And I renounce... I do not claim the lies of the world that have dominion over this world, but no longer have a dominion over me. I have a good friend of mine who, as a man, one of the things that men struggle with most is lust. Just for you women in the room that didn't know that, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. And I would ride in the car with him, and he would... When, he would, we, when we would drive by a billboard or something that was sensual or provocative, he would look at it and he would say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I had to make sure he was pointing at a billboard instead of a person. <laughs> who are you looking at? I just rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to let it take hold of me because it is not who I am. And we could do that with every one of these things that God brings conviction on. The thing that has the most control over it, you can say no as a believer. If you're not a believer, if you're on a journey with Jesus, you can say yes to Jesus and be totally free. We are citizens of God's kingdom, members of his body. We are no longer alienated from God, and we are no longer alienated from one another. But we can, in all of our differences and backgrounds, come together and find community. We're no longer strangers and aliens and strangers of God, but the scripture does tell us that we, at times, are aliens and we are aliens and strangers in this world, aren't we? You, You ain't like the rest of the world. That's a good thing. That's why we need each other, so that we maintain the walk that Christ has called us to. Let's look on verses 20 through um, 24. But that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him when you were taught as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's an interesting way in which Paul talks about this, because in other letters he writes, he talks about, he he goes directly and says, we have been given a new nature. But in this one, he talks about us understanding it in our minds. So he's not changing his theology, he's just telling us, you know what, it has happened. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and he, 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 He was willingly nailed to the cross and he died. He took upon himself the sins of our life so that we might be forgiven. He took upon us the punishment or death that we deserve. And he became that sin and death for us so that when we believe in him, we can exchange this old man or woman for a new man or woman in Christ. He comes in and he makes us completely whole and new again, like a butterfly in a cocoon. And he talks about the imagery in Corinthians. We are reborn to a new nature, a newness of life. But I think in this passage of scripture, he's taking it in another angle because he wants us to realize you can, you can be transformed in Christ and not know it. 
And keep on walking in your old man. Keep on walking in the old patterns. And he's saying, we have to put on this thinking. We have to think like Christ. We have Christ in us. We've got to think like him and live like him. Jesus is in us. Therefore, truth is in us. Therefore, to come to faith in him him is to come to true wisdom. You cannot come to faith in Christ without changing your thinking. My old pastor used to say when I got, he'd say in his Texas drawl, now, this, is, this, was, this was, well, just listen to the phrase. <laughs> Explain it, but this was in the Bible Belt where, uh, you know, we're still coming out of thoughts about drinking being wrong, but this was the context. He said, when I, when I got saved, God, God blew the beer right out of my refrigerator. He said, he said, I was a butcher. He says, when I got saved, every, all of a sudden, everything that I said bad, everything that, every cuss word, all of a sudden sounded, sounded bad to me. All of a sudden, something happened in my life that I recognized with my mind was completely different. I start seeing and understanding things differently. Because why? Because Jesus is in you. Because that's how he sees it. going to confess something here real quick before we finish. There was one time in our house where over half to three quarters of the stuff in our house we found on the curb. That's my confession. <laughs> we like to curb. Anybody like to curb? We had couches. We still have some of that stuff. Couches, TVs. We've got both our TVs came off the curb. And if you came into our house, you'd realize why. We still have those old TVs. But we loved it because we drive down the road. And if you drove in the right communities, like people that lived a few levels of economic status above you, one man's trash is another. Well, let's translate that to God. One broken man, one enslaved woman, one destroyed life after another is a treasure to God. I said, Dan, you got to sing beautiful things this morning because we need to realize that we are beautiful to God. We are not trash. We are not trash. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, I, I don't feel great or I don't feel real special. You are unbelievably special to God because he purchased your life on the cross. God's going curbing this morning. Who wants to be hanging out in heaven? Say, pick me, Lord. You can say, pick me. Pick me. I'll be your trash. I'll be your trash, Lord. What would it look like, as Paul described it, to take off your old self and put on Christ? Can we just stop for a second and ask that question? Lord, today, what would it look like for me to put on Christ? We're going to pause because I I really believe the Holy Spirit's here. 
And I think he wants to speak something to us. Don't try to change your whole life right now, please. Just listen to one thing that God is saying. What would it look like for me to put on Christ According to verse 24, that new nature that we have is created in God's likeness. It's characterized by a holy righteousness that springs forth and mirrors Jesus, who is our truth. Our old nature decays us towards hell or hellish behavior. Our old nature is being corrupted, but the new is being renewed. The old is deceitful, the new deals in truth. The old is sinful, the new is righteous. The old is driven by lusts, the new by character and purposes of God. What are you being driven by, your old nature? Or which, if you're believers, it really should have no hold on you? Or the new nature that's renewing you day by day? I love the illustration, right? The old circus illustration of the elephant who has been chained up and pulled around. And the way they train them is that by the time they get to the circle, the tent, all they have to do is tie a little string around the elephant's leg. Because the elephant still thinks he's chained. And he's really free. Are you an elephant that thinks you're chained, but you're really free? God's saying, you're free. Listen, if that's you, I'm going to say it to you. And I'm not looking at you because I don't know anybody who's chained in this room. You're free. And that's from heaven. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are free. You're free. You're free from addiction. You're free from condemnation. You're free from rebellion. You're free from judgment. You're free from any of those other things that Paul was talking about. You're free. You're free. I'm free. I'm free. Say it. I'm free. Now live it. We had, we had a general contractor come by the other day, and by the way, we are moving forward on plans for renovations of the building, and he came by, and we, had a, we showed him a picture of what we were thinking about doing for awnings outside of the building, and um, the designer that was helping us had him, had him yeah, there was chains associated with it, and he's, he's, from, uh, he's, uh, he's from around here, and he says, chains? What's the church going to be doing with chains? Hasn't God broken all the chains? It's like, preach it, GC. Way to go. We might still have chains, but that was a good word. God's broken chains. So faith comes with a holiness. Our nature has been exchanged for Christ's nature. Therefore, it empowers us to live as new believers. I'm not going to read the next passage of scripture, but if you have your Bibles, you can for the sake of time because I want to get towards ministry time. As a matter of fact, band, you can come on up. But it talks about, remember that at the beginning of, of that um, the passage of scripture, it talked about us being alienated. And in this passage of scripture, I believe that it, it describes for us what alienation can look like or not, not look like. And in verse 25, it says, therefore, 
you've put away this falsehood, this believing that you are not a new nature, this old man. I really believe that's where Paul is, what Paul is saying here. He's linking these two passages of Scripture. He's saying, you've put away this thought of living like an old man. Now, speak to one another and encourage one another with truth. Tell people, you're no longer a slave. You no longer are condemned. Speak the truth to your neighbors. And then he go on, goes on and describes, and please study this because we don't have time to study it this morning, but he goes on and describes alienating behavior. Anger that is not controllable. How alienating is uncontrolled anger? Has anybody ever been around it? What do you want to do? You want to get out of Dodge, don't you? Has anybody been the one who's had uncontrolled anger? What do you want to do? Once you... You know, it's just so divisive. God's saying, don't be like that. Have such a control over your anger that you don't even let a day go by that you've resolved your differences. That before the sun sets, you're able to, to be at peace with one another. That used to be in the early days of our marriage. Laura and I got into a few fights. You know, we're that couple that needed help. I'm not joking. But one thing that we were committed to was forgiveness. And one thing we were committed to was this passage of Scripture. And I would be hotter than anything laying in bed beside her. Just, God, she's so wrong. And then God would say, well, you got a little bit more time before. We would always interpret that before you go to sleep. Especially at this time in Boston. That'd be really hard to get everything done by 4 (laughs) o'clock. Before I could go to bed. Darn it, God, I've got to be right with my wife. Because I'm not going to be controlled by anger. I'm going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because she needs to be able to sleep and I need to be able to sleep. It was usually more selfish. It was about me. Okay, I forgive you because I need to sleep. God's patient with us too. That His anger is never done out of it's never controlled. In his anger, whenever we see anger in Scripture, it's because he loves us, because he has a plan for us. Theft, what does that do in, in regards to alienation? It's saying that your property, that your personal space and your personal stuff is, is, um, is mine. It's a violation of reconciliation. It's a, it's a, it's a trust that's been broken. Bitterness. He talks about judging and not forgiving as God has forgiven you. Unbridled tongues, gossip, slander, all these things alienate us. But at the end of that passage of Scripture, he says this. He says, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, because Christ has forgiven you. That's always a good thing to remember. Is the way that I'm treating somebody else the way that Jesus would treat me? Oh, he always gets me with that one. The standard is always much higher than I want it to be. So my conclusion is this. What's our response? We want to walk in the truth, don't we? How do we renew our minds? We do a whole message on this. But how do we renew our minds? We renew our minds by feeding our minds with truth. Truth renews minds. When a person wants to learn a foreign language, what do they do? 
What's the best way to learn a foreign language? Immersion. Why? Because in immersion, we not only learn the language, but we learn the culture. We learn the nuances. We, love the in- we learn the intent of language. Sounds like a pretty good thing to do with the Bible, doesn't it? What if we immersed ourselves in the Word of God? I guarantee you if you did, you would be renewed. I'm always struck and I'm always impressed and I'm always encouraged by those people who when I'm in a conversation with them, as they're processing how they're living their life, it's seasoned and salted with the Word of God that they're meditating on about that certain issue in life. Try it. You got a problem in your life? Find a scripture that deals with that and memorize it. I guarantee you that he'll bring it up more than you want him to until you're changed. Renew our minds. How will you give yourself to renew your mind today might be a response of yours. Secondly, walking in true identity. Is there anybody in this room that when I started talking about that, you were like, I don't know if I'm an old man or if I'm in Christ, or I know I'm not in Christ, but I, I want to believe. This is an invitation to you today, as it is every Sunday that we come together. There's not a Sunday that I don't want to say to somebody, Jesus loves you. Jesus has a plan for your life, a plan to set you free and to renew you to the character and the purposes that he created you for. He sees you in the potential that he created you for and he wants you to believe. If that's you and you're like, I want Jesus in my life, I want that transformation you're talking about, respond to him today. How about walking in true living? What's it look like to walk with Christ? As I talked about these lists of uncontrolled anger, theft, bitterness, unforgiveness, rejecting the truth or the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there was something that was spoken in a list that you're like, God, I want to deal with that this morning. This is the place to do it. This is the place to do it. So as we stand up, we're going to ask you to respond. And I want want you to know this. We pray for our church services and we ask God, what's... What's a way for the church to respond to the Word of God? And oftentimes we'll ask people to come forward, but we don't think that the only way that you can respond to God is coming to the front of this building. The other way is to go to the back of the building. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not the only way. But you can pray to God. You can ask somebody near you to pray for you. But as I often say, sometimes in our lives when something has really got a hold of us or when there's a truth that is so revelatory we don't want to lose it, using using our body as a response mechanism is really good. It takes us from that place of, I don't know, I think God is saying, and I'm not quite sure, to God, I really do believe, and I'm going to commit to it. Right? So that's one of the reasons we do that. We also do it because sometimes you need some space to worship and pray. So if you're in that place this morning with any of those, 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 those situations, I'd love you to respond. And one other thing, we had a, we had a word this morning. David, you want to just come and bring that with we pray in the mornings. We have different prayer groups. It's right here, David. And um, at different times, our prayer, our prayer meetings come up with specific things that we feel like are for the service. So I've given David this card, and you can... So essentially this morning, we have prayers for here, or potentially more than one person, but there's someone here carrying an enormous weight of pain, emotional pain, just in the sense that it was just a weight of emotional pain that was crushing them. Um, 
and the, the word from the Lord this morning was, he wants to take that burden. He wants to lift that burden off of you. Um, and he wants to see you uh, given fully to the purposes that he has for you. That purpose and destiny, those good things, those good plans. But that this weight was so enormous that you couldn't even take one step in the right direction. Um, and so there's grace this morning to respond to that. So if that is you, um, I would encourage you, uh, feel free to come forward. I would love to pray for you. We'll have others that are um, here that would love to pray for you for that. So whatever your situation, if there's a response, respond to that.